Welcome to the Higher Ed Podcast, where we explore the latest developments and emerging trends in the world of higher education. Our podcast features in-depth discussions with the industry's leading experts, providing valuable insights and actionable advice for academic leaders and executives. From designing impactful universities and establishing strong brand identities for colleges to delivering exceptional student services, we cover it all. Join us as we reimagine the future of higher education one episode at a time. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Higher Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Kamar Dijarnett. I'm flying solo today. Liz couldn't make it. I think she's still a little bit under the weather. Um, but we've got a great guest. Uh, I'm going to do my best with your name, Miss Nika Guechi. Perfect. Nailed it. All right. We appreciate you joining us today. I think we only met a couple weeks ago, so um, we really appreciate you taking a kind of short notice. Maybe just kind of a brief introduction. I think you just won an award or, or something like that. Uh, I don't want to ruin it for the crowd, but uh, you can let us know about that. Give us a little bit of your bio. Let them know who you are. Sure. So thanks so much for having me here. I, I know we only met on LinkedIn, I think, a couple of weeks ago, and I was excited to hear from you. Um, and I listened to several episodes of the Higher Ed Podcast before, nice. so I kind of sort of knew what to expect, so I'm happy to be here. Um, and yes, I did just win an award. It's from the Women We Admire Association, and uh, it is for one of the top 50 female leaders in Arizona for 2023. And, um, and so I'm really honored and kind of humbled to get that award. Ooh. So for my daily work. I am the executive director for the Center for Mindfulness, Compassion, and Resilience under the Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation at Arizona State University. And I am also the senior fellow for ASU's Learning Enterprise, which is the arm of the university that services lifelong learners. So everybody from K through 12, all the way to retirement and beyond. Nice. And I'm leading their venture design for personal development solutions. So I wear many hats. Absolutely. That, that, ah, man, that, that award, I, I've got a daughter that's four. So um, that that's exciting. Yeah, I, I told her, I said, look, look at this top 50 here. You know, let's go. Uh, but yeah, I've been, I've been seeing it. I'm really excited about so many things. But I think, you know, your passion, you know, you talked about, you know, lifelong learning and, and mindfulness and, you know, just kind of well-being. And I know those are things that kind of get, you know, lost in the competitive, you know, workspace and people just, you know, trying to feed their families. How are you able to kind of just, you know, enter, you know, weave or wove that with, you know, higher ed and what you're doing and just how that, you know, kind of trickles down? I know that was a broad question. Yeah, that's a broad question. But for, first, thank you for showing it to your daughter, because I think it's important for females to see other females in positions of um, authority and power. And I think that this is really important to pass on to the younger generations. And that's another thing that I'm really passionate about, too, is lifting up um, emerging leaders and people at the start of their career, because people have done that for me. And so I want to pass it forward. Um, but yeah, so Arizona State University is a really driven place. It's a really ambitious, high paced. It's probably one of the most fast paced universities I've worked in. I've worked in five or six. 
Um, and I'm from New York, so that's saying something, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but we have 142,000 students. We have 26,000 faculty and staff. So it's an enormous population. And um, I think that you're right. I think that sometimes well-being and our own self-care gets put on the back burner in order to promote this ambitious nature that we have. But in reality, what does that do? That causes us to burn out. That causes us to have exhaustion and fatigue. And I think we've been seeing so much more of that. Um, and that's coming to light a lot more. Mental health concerns are coming to light a lot more, especially within these last three years. Whereas maybe um, it was underneath the surface before, but people were still experiencing it. Now it's come to the surface. And in fact, the, the Surgeon General has called for several things. He just put out a framework for mental health and well-being in the workplace. And that's really a human-centered design for how we can support each other and support our own well-being in the workplace. And it's a call for employers to understand that well-being, mindfulness, compassion, it doesn't happen separate from where we work. It can happen within. Because if you think about it, we spend so much of our time at work. We spend 40, 60, however long at work, just thinking about it, being there, whether we're remote or in person. Um, and so there's no excuse anymore to not focus on well-being at work because we are dropping like flies in large numbers these days. Um, and so he's also called, the Surgeon General has also called for us to look at loneliness, which is very much related to this, as a public health epidemic. We are all so lonely, so isolated. And in fact, the mortality risk for being lonely, for being isolated, is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. This is a public wow. health epidemic that we're dealing with. So when we're calling for well-being and belonging in the workplace, it's a really serious issue that has large implication for the entire lifespan. Wow, no, that was a lot to unpack there. So, so I'm curious, do you think like the pandemic ushered this in faster or do you think, you know, the kind of just the remote space and things of that might make it even more difficult because like, you know, you're more alone than you might be if you were working, you know, in a building? I think both. I think that the pandemic has allowed us to see mental health as a really important issue because we have had to, a lot of us were either essential workers, like my husband is in construction. And so he had to go to work every single day. He wasn't allowed to, to work remote because he builds buildings. Yeah. Um, and so I was at home and many people in higher ed um, moved to remote work and we allowed people into our home. Right. No, we're, we allowed people into our home, whether we wanted to or not. And so this gave us a real personal edge to our conversations, to our meetings. You know, we would have children or dogs or, you know, spouses coming in, um, whether we wanted to or not. And that allowed us to see each other for whole people, yeah. I think. Yeah 
which allowed us to see mental health as an important issue. And, and also we learned that we can do so many things without having to go out and be places. Absolutely. We can get our food delivered. We can get anything delivered we want right to our doorstep. If we work from home, we don't really have to leave. We don't really have to leave our home. So all of those micro interactions, all of those loose connections that we had with our dry cleaners or the, the grocery people at the grocery store, those are lost. And now we really have to make a big effort to not be lonely because we don't have those little micro connections or we don't have them as much as we did before. Are you struggling to scale your student prospects? Well, look no further than Engine Systems. Our BPO lead generation service is specifically designed to help you generate qualified student prospects, increase enrollments, and provide your team with a stress-free experience. Partnering with us is a breeze. We offer rapid deployment, a fixed cost structure, and seamless scalability that won't impact your internal systems. We take care of the entire prospect generation process, offer growth strategies and resources, and have a proven track record of delivering impressive results. But best of all, there are no costs unless a student is admitted. So why wait to become a leader in student recruitment? Contact us today to learn more about how we can help you scale your student prospects and achieve your enrollment goals. With Engine Systems, you've found your solution to student prospect scaling. So, man, once again, so much to unpack. You had said something earlier in terms of, like, you know, well-being, you know, not being something separate from work, but, I like, I guess figuring out how to do it in the midst. And it, it kind of made me think, like, like you'll hear people say, take a self-day, right, or take, you know, time, but that it's always, you know, thought of as something away, right? How do you... I guess, mesh them like that. That's kind of a novel concept to me. I think that's something that we're all trying to figure out how to do. And within the Surgeon General's framework, he calls for work-life harmony. Not so not work-life balance, but work-life harmony. Balance kind of implies that it's weighted, right? So we need to be at equal weight for both of them. But in reality, that, that's that's not the case. Sometimes work, if you're writing a grant, if you've got a big project coming up, that's heavier than your home life. But if you have a, a, a sick family member or something going on, then that's weightier, right? So it's finding the harmony within that because work and life really can't be separated. And when we drop, you know, one of the things that I like to, mentioned when we do our mindfulness workshops and presentations is that mindfulness is not a band-aid. Self-care is not a band-aid. It really has to be integrated into everyday life. You can't just take a self-care day and have a bubble bath and then you're well, right? It doesn't work that way. We need to change our systems. We need to change our structures in order to make them more centered on the human being and productivity and ambition, right? You can have both, you don't have to choose. But I think that we are all trying to figure it out. And I'm glad this conversation is at least coming to the surface. Yeah, that's another 
kind of interesting point because I was I was wondering, you know, when you talk about harmony and balance, I think it would be a general, you know, p- potentially, you know, perceived that, okay, so the person that, you know, maybe takes it a little bit easy, right? And even just that terminology might not be right either in terms of kind of well-being and, and mindfulness. A lot of leadership or managers may not think that that person is going, you know, as hard towards the goal as, you know, the person that is, you know, kind of stuck in the typical way of how we, you know, traditionally go, right? How do you, I guess, coach against that, balance that, or is there a way that we need to get leadership to kind of think about that moving forward? Yeah, that's that's sometimes the barrier, right? Um, we often don't practice what we preach in higher education. Um, and I think that we're all kind of guilty of that. Uh, we tell our students that all of these ways to be well, to work on their nutrition and their sleep and to meditate and journal. And then we burn ourselves out and we burn each other out. And I think that we need to be responsible, not just for ourselves, but for each other as well. We really need to look out for each other because sometimes the people who are most at risk of burning out, they don't even know it. They don't even recognize it until it's way too late because we're so out of touch with our bodies. We're so out of touch with what fuels us, what saps our energy. And we really need to tap into that. And I I wish that more leadership, I think we are seeing a lot of leaders who are getting it, um, which is great. And they are looking out for their people. But I think that some leadership does need to understand that we can be both productive, ambitious, we can help our students, we can write the grants, and we can also not burn ourselves out in the process. Right. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting because like even when you say that, it's so many of us that think that's a really novel concept, right? And the reality is that should be more the way it actually is. Um, even just kind of hearing it out loud. Uh, when you talk about integration, right, do you start to integrate this maybe even into the onboarding, like the hiring process and when people start? And if so, do you have kind of any thoughts or insight on that? I, that would be really great. You know, at the Edson College of Nursing and Health Innovation, we're actually talking about how do we build belonging? into our conversations, into our culture? How do we note that we are an environment where we belong, where we care for ourselves and each other? And so again, these are conversations that are kind of starting. um, And I think that there will be a lot of trial and error in these conversations, but it's important to at least start and to at least try these things out. Um, our ASU charter says that we are responsible for our community's health and well-being. I mean, that's within the charter, right? Which is the, the driving force of the entire university. So if we're focused on inclusion, if we're focused on each other's health and well-being, then we need to integrate that into our systems. Um, and yeah, having it be part of onboarding is great. Having it be part of conversations with supervisors, starting a meeting with a reflection, 
little things like that really add up and they add up to contribute to the larger environment in which we work. One of the, one of the things I thought about, um, you know, as you started to kind of talk about this was uh, the AI revolution or evolution, right? And it really made me think, and I'm interested to hear kind of your take on this, but like AI may actually help to usher in a lot of this because AI is doing so much and, you know, making things faster and easier that it may kind of force people to start to take that time that they need to, even though the funny thing is, you know, the first thing people think about is the AI is going to take my job. And it's like, ah, it might actually just make life and harmony easier for you, right? I think so. I think it could save a lot of time on a lot of different tasks. And perhaps we could use some of that time uh, to support ourselves and to take that, to take even a few breaths, even that helps. Um, but yeah, I, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen with AI within five, 10 years, you probably know a lot better than I do. Um, but yeah, maybe it'll save us some time and we could use that time for, for other things. Now, now is this, do we start to embed any of this into the curriculum or the courses, majors? You know, how, how, how do you guys kind of roll this out and specialize in it? Yeah, well, one thing is that we never make mindfulness mandatory. We always open the door to mindfulness, but we don't force it upon anybody. Um, because when you're in a classroom or when you're giving a presentation and people don't want to be there, you know. <laughs> And they really disrupt the rest of the people who do want to be there. Um, but yeah, but having said that, we're actually creating a minor and certificate program for students, for undergrads, and for people who are not students, the certificate program on mindfulness and compassion, on happiness uh, and belonging. And so it's going to be a five class series that will start hopefully in January. Nice. But, yeah. So we're excited about that. But you, you know, one of our, you know, kind of go-to mantras is, you know, high, higher ed needs, you know, an Elon Musk or, you know, basically an innovator, right? Um, you know, when you think of the next five, 10 years in higher ed, you know, what do you guess hope for? But, you know, also what do you kind of see? How do you see it trending? I think that things are changing and I think that, I mean, I'm biased because I love ASU and I think that we are ahead of the curve in a lot of ways Sure. Um, because we're focused on traditional age college students and the traditional uh, residential hall model. And we're also really focused on the entire other span of the population. So how do we get people from K through 12 into college? Mm. How do we support people once they graduate? And I don't think that we stop learning after college or after grad school. We need to continue to build on our accomplishments and to learn. Um, and I think that ASU is creating pathways to do that. And I think that the universities that go in that direction and work with 
the changing climate are the ones that are going to do really well. And the ones that are stuck in traditional ways of being, whatever that means, then they are the ones that are going to be less successful. Got it. I can't think of a better place to end it than right there. Uh, That was awesome. Can you kind of let our audience know where can they find you on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, um, website, you know, anything that you want to promote? Sure. So just my website is nikaguechi.com and I'm on LinkedIn and I don't have Instagram anymore because I just have too many things to check. But yeah, <laughs> you can just find me on LinkedIn, um, Nika Gwechi. Uh G-U-E-C-I is my last name and Nika N-I-K-A is my first name. All right. Well, we appreciate you. Enjoy the weekend. I really appreciate your time and best of luck. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Higher Ed Podcast. To learn more about the topics covered in this episode, please visit engine.systems. Be sure to join us again next week and every week thereafter for more cutting edge insights and practical advice to help you stay ahead in the dynamic world of higher education.